Hi, this is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer coming to you from the island of Kauai. And together we are Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Hello and welcome to our new episode. Today, we are excited to have a wonderful guest with us. We're going to be talking about Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word which translates to knowledge of life. It's a natural system of medicine which originated in India more than 3,000 years ago. And actually in India and Nepal, more than 80% of the population still uses it today. Now, June and I have both had experiences with Ayurveda and we share the same practitioner She's a friend of Jude's that I met through her, and we're super excited to have Catherine with us today. And Jude, I'll pass it over to you to introduce her. Yes, I'm excited to introduce a good friend of mine and a colleague in health and wellness. Her name is Catherine Storsback. And I met Catherine, I think it was about four years ago. I was opening my first sound healing studio here on Kauai, and she had her office right next to me called an elemental practice. And I'll tell you the second I met Catherine, I knew that we were going to be friends and by divine design, we were planted right next to each other because we totally ended up becoming super close and we have so much in common. And I actually have a few really fun stories to share with you about Catherine, but we'll save those till the end. Some good, like spiritual interdimensional type things. So you'll have to stay tuned to the end to get those little tidbits, but Catherine, it is so good to have you welcome to spirit speakers podcast. We are so excited to have you talk about all things Ayurveda. Jude and Patty, I am so happy to be here. I deeply respect both of you. I know we have a friendship and we're colleagues and we're sharing in these different collaborations that we're building. But I will say over the four to five years that I've known you both, it's just been a really heartfelt journey. And to be on here is a, a true joy. I mean, Spirit Speakers is impactful. It's meaningful. It brings so much light and wisdom to other people. And to be asked to be on this is a true honor. So thank you. We're so excited to have you. And I actually met Catherine from being next door to Jude. I was checking out Jude's amazing studio and Jude said, Hey, you got to pop over here and meet my friend, Catherine. And I walked into Catherine's studio. And before I left, I had my pulse taken and my tongue looked at and all that stuff and dove right in. And she's so knowledgeable and helpful and educated. It's, it's just a real joy to have you on here, Catherine, and to get to learn more about you and about and more about Ayurveda. Yeah, thank you, ladies. It's very distinct the day that I met you both. Jude setting up shop two doors down. Jay, her husband, introduced us. was like, you got to meet my woman. You got to meet my girl. And as soon as Jude and I kind of locked eyes, and I remember we sat underneath this big, lush tree right outside of my office, and there was just an immediate connection. And same thing with you, Patty. Um, it was for Jude's birthday when you came from California, and I met you downtown, and then we went out to eat and to Jude. So... Yeah, the connection has been there from the beginning. Thank you for the introduction. I'm very excited to speak Ayurveda. It's a true passion of mine, but it's become also a purpose, a life's purpose through my personal well-being as well as my professional development and career. So I'm excited to answer any questions you have, kind of bring 
surface level education of what is Ayurveda, because some people know, some people don't, and then dig a little bit deeper with you both through inquiry and questions. So then people who are interested can understand it a little bit better. Well, I know for me, uh, Ayurveda has been sort of in my sphere pretty much always. I've always known people who have been on that path or speak of it in terms of pinpointing kind of health (laughs) imbalances that may be going on. But it wasn't until I met you that I really kind of got a deeper dive into how you can really work with it, uh, with the doshas, which I think a lot of people have heard about. What I think our listeners would really like to know is, you know, more about that too, along with an introduction of like, what is Ayurveda? How can it assist us? How does it break down, you know, these different like categories of health and wellness for different people in order to find the avenue of the appropriate type of food medicine that one would need in order to like combat whatever ailments that they're experiencing. So Catherine, I know you are like the most knowledgeable and well-spoken person. So I'm really excited (laughs) because I know that you are so thorough in your explanation of things and an ability for people to really understand what it is, you know, especially a new topic that people might not have ever explored before. So first question is, if somebody comes to you not knowing anything about Ayurveda, how would you describe it? To really break it down to healing within the natural world. People have heard about holistic health, they know alternative medicine, but to really say, okay, what can we utilize, optimize, shift and change around within one's life through dietary intake, as you just mentioned, food as medicine or medicine food, I think you said, through, um, right, that's nutritional therapy, herbal recommendations, exercise, lifestyle choices, where do you work, what type of relationships do you continue to cultivate and really see what can we do within those to change through the natural means of the world. It's really healing within the natural world. And what does that mean? Yes, using food, diet, nutritional intake, these things that we come into contact every day and all day, but for us to wake up to our choices, to be really conscientious of what we're choosing and how that's building not only our life and lifestyle, but our our internal health. So if someone comes to me with no idea what's going on, well, it's very easy to talk about symptoms and that's more of the negative spin, but okay, what are your imbalances? What do you feel are your discomforts or your dis-ease or things that bring you out of just the natural progression of the day that makes you stop and say, hey, that doesn't feel right or not comfortable. And then a lot of people can override that. So saying, what do you experience in your mind and your body? But then when we do identify those, how we use the natural world around us. And again, that's in every form of food, nutrition, herbal supplements, um, how you rest, how you rejuvenate, how you pursue activity in your life and how you kind of run your energy. And right, we all three know that everything is energy. And to really sit and um, ponder, how do I run my energy day in and day out, knowing we have conscious patterns and subconscious or unconscious patterns, and to make us aware of all of those. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Like Jude, I worked with an Ayurveda person like probably 20 years ago, but when I worked with them, I didn't really understand what was happening. I had a few body treatments and I was given certain things to follow, but I didn't really understand why. And when I started working with you, you have this 
wonderful ability to take something that can be pretty deep and pretty confusing and explain it in a way that makes sense. I really appreciate that from you. And I know that Ayurveda is based around the doshas. And I know it goes much deeper than that, but could you maybe tell us a little bit about the doshas? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for speaking to the way that I practice and how I want to speak to the hearts and minds of my clients, because that's important because it is ancient medicine. It's very old in its lineage, but it's universal. It comes from India, but it's truly universal medicine and it's common everyday living. And so that's important as a practitioner to bring that to my clients. So it feels like they can not only learn it through education recommendations, but also through conversation, through osmosis. So they feel motivated to go home and make a change to make a difference so they can feel better and optimize. But what's so fun about the doshas is it's based off the five elements. The five elements are earth, water, fire, air, and ether. In Ayurvedic philosophy, we say all things comprised, organic and inorganic, are comprised of these five elements, but also how we bring these elements into our physical body, into our energetic body, into our mind and our emotions. And so when we look at the doshas, skipping to the doshas, because there's so much more to say about the elements, but we don't need to stop there. We take two of the elements to make one dosha. So people who have maybe briefed Ayurveda or have studied it, Novata, Pitta, and Kapha. So baseline, what we see as a dosha is biological forces of energy. And yes, we put them into our constitution of, oh, she's a Vata. Oh, he's a Pitta Kapha. Oh, you seem Pitta imbalanced. But really, they're biological forces of nature that move through this earthly plane, both outside of us and inside of us. So it's our constitution, it's a blueprint, it's our genetic coding, and it's how we're comprised at conception. Knowing that we have influence of environments, trauma, experiences, food intake, um, lifestyle, age, weather, transitions, jobs, all of these things start to push these doshas into different directions. So then we come to, okay, well, the dosha can be pushed out. It can be increased, decreased. It needs to be pacified. It needs to be induced or kind of coddled in certain ways. And so the dosha is vata, pitta, and kapha, vata being air and ether. And so it's the wind, it's motion, movement, and change. Every time we see movement within the mind, change in the emotions, something that moves voluntarily in our body or involuntarily is always vata. And so here I am describing them within our physical being as an energetic force of nature, not a description or identity that many people go to with dosha. When you get into Ayurveda, it's really important to go beyond just the concept that resides so compactly and see it as this is nature and how it moves our thoughts, how it makes us blink, our respiration, the pulsation of our heart, how fast our blood is circulating. All of this is the vata dosha, which is a vata energy of motion, movement, and change. With pitta, it's comprised of a lot of fire and a little bit of water. This is the the illumination or the brilliance, the intelligence, and more importantly, the digestive ability and metabolic activity within our mind, our emotions, our physical tissues, the organs of our body, not just ingesting food and being able to break it down and assimilate nutrition or the nutrients, but truly how we digest and transform our conversations, 
our past traumas, the experiences that we had yesterday, the sicknesses we may feel today. We have to be able to take this pit of fire and make it continue to burn on a cellular level, organ tissue level, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. All of these are called agnis. It's a beautiful word in Sanskrit, A-G-N-I. Agni is this ability, again, to digest and transform what we come into contact with and what we ingest. And so we see it in the brain, we see it in a personality, we see it in the body, and it has its own elemental qualities to it, just like Bata does. And then the third dosha is called Kapha. It's comprised of earth and water. It's the lubrication, hydration, stability, solidness that we feel in our body from our muscle tissue to our bone mass, to the, uh, the ability to feel safe, comforted, to be able to give and receive compassion. So with the doshas, they reside and create our bodies, but they also give us the capacity to feel different emotions and express from compassion and kindness and caring for kaphas to intense intellect and the sharp ability to move through and process the things in front of us to the intuition and the ability to pull from the ethers what we perceive and receive as knowledge and as truth. And so we do break it down as we are a dosha, doshic type, one, two, or three, a doshic, dual doshic, tri-doshic. And then we can see how a dosha goes out of balance and what they create in their imbalances. But again, I feel like my point of this explanation is to really see how they are part of the greater good and how are they part of us motion movement and change, digestion and metabolism, as well as structure lubrication and hydration to create our structure and form. Thanks, Catherine. But for my own understanding, what you're saying is, is that everybody individually has their own code or balance between these three doshas. Am I correct on that? You're correct. And I, I appreciate you bringing me back to baseline because a doshic constitution is given at conception or at birth knowing someone is primarily this type of energy or primarily these two types of energy. And that's how we say it's a, our constitution, how we direct ourselves and navigate through this world, both in mind and body. And so you can go to a practitioner or an Ayurvedic physician and say, hey, what's my dosha? I want to understand more. Because if someone knows their doshic type, they can better understand what food to intake, what lifestyle activities benefit them, what also can pull them out of harmony and create disease. And so, yeah, baseline, we all do have one to two primary. There are individuals out there who are tridoshic. Um, it's more rare to come across a tridoshic individual. But as you're saying, well, say if someone's primarily vata, well, do we want to always have that increased heightened vata? Well, that's, that's a difficult thing because increased vata can create anxiety, overwhelm nervousness, ticks and tremors within the body, um, a lot of ungroundedness, constipation, hard stools, dry skin, right? So it's, it's like, no, we don't want to increase vata. Uh, most of us need to balance our vata out because with all of the craziness in life, our vata gets increased. But we want to make sure it's managed and balanced for that specific constitution, knowing their gifts and their specialties in life are more vata based. 
And so we want to make sure we can enhance that and have them live in a life of longevity as a Vata constitution, not an out of balance Vata and not a out of balance Kapha, which can happen even to a Vata, but to say, okay, what constitution are you or he or him? And then how can we balance those doshas appropriately? For our listeners, is there any sort of generalized traits that they can kind of clue in just just by description that if they might tend to be more vata, pitta, or kapha? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we don't want to stereotype or over-identify, but there's definitely ways to see if someone is a vata, pitta, or kapha. And so people listening hopefully can gravitate and say, oh, I've got those characteristics or a blend there or this is exacerbated and I definitely know this as a long-term health history complication. But for vatas, they tend to be long and lean, thinner and skinnier in frame. They tend to reach towards the ethers. They're comprised more of air and ether. So I say they stretch towards the heavens. They have a long gait. They're very lengthy in ways, but vatas can also be extremely short as well. So irregularities tend to... um, create the constitution of vatas, whether really tall or really short, but also they tend to have smaller features, more petite eyes, petite nose, thin lips, thinner hair, and maybe vatas tend to gravitate towards very curly, wispy hair. I always say a vata constitution with their hair, you can see and you can actually see through it. You know, those women or men who have these gorgeous, beautiful locks, and they're always like trying to tame it down. That's the the air and the ether, the the air of the movement of the hair. And so looking at the petite features, but also thin, and also the hair is very curly, frizzy, wild, those little beautiful locket curls. Within the personality, vatas tend to be intuitives or psychics or innovators engineers, artists, musicians, they tend to have this creative wealth of knowledge that they just sit back and open themselves up to and they tend to channel it down and then manifest it. Vatas have a great sense of the greater world and have a ton of gifts. They're multi-talented, always doing many different tasks and jobs and they completed woodworking and now they're onto painting and then they've just recorded some music. They are the, the breath of life. They really bring these talents in the world that make the world juicy and vibrant and colorful and very exciting to live. Vatas love to travel. They love newness and spontaneity. And so those are some more of the the physical and personal and emotional characteristics of a vata. Where a pitta comprises more of fire, you can see sharpness within their features. You can see a sharpness maybe in their chin or high cheekbones, more of a pointy nose, but medium size, medium size eyes, nose, and lips. Um, their hair thickness is medium in density. They tend to have straighter hair than even stick straight. I always think of pitas of like shooting the arrow. They slingshot it and they know exactly their direction. Their functional features, they tend to have a higher metabolic activity. So they burn food faster. They have a high intellect. They can go through a lot of information and knowledge quickly to then regurgitate it and then give it to others. They tend to be fiery, right? Those who have um, a fire or a, a intensity to them that can be brilliant and luminous and also intense to take on. So those are some baseline pitches where they tend to be business owners, entrepreneurs, 
creatives. They like to lead their own way. They like to blaze their own trail, hence the fire. Um, where vatas are all over, they're here, there, and everywhere on the map. Where Pitcher's like, I'm going up that mountain, I'm going down that path, do not get in my way, this is what I'm doing. Where kaphas really embody that earth and water. They tend to carry more weight. Um, they tend to have um, a heavier bone density, but they have this care and compassion of when you give them a hug, you feel like the world is right. Or you stand by them and energetically you feel like, okay, everything is in its place and in its order. Kaphas are very structured. They have a lot of hydration and lubrication that displays in their hair. They have beautiful thick hair with big, huge waves. Their skin is thick. Um, they have thicker lips and a, a broader nose, big bare eyes. You can look at a kapha and see, oh, from a vata, they're petite and small, where kaphas tend to have larger features. But this goes into their capacity to bring in community, hold people, give and receive, and be that rock in the community, hence their earth and water. And so they tend to be, um, you know, nurses, healthcare providers, accountants, those that really produce our society and moving forward and the things that we need and most of us like myself, I'm not good in. So I hire someone, they tend to be a kapha who are steady, secure and safe. They know the path and trajectory. But the most important thing is to know we have all three doshas within us. Everyone has vata, pitta and kapha just in different proportions. And so everyone has all of these traits and attributes, but some are much more exacerbated or heightened or strengthened. And then they play out in our physical features, like I named, our structural and our functional features down to appetite, digestion, elimination, sleep, energy patterns, what we like for food and what we don't like for food, what we find really intriguing and what totally puts us off, tend to go down these channels of vata, pitta, and kapha. Fascinating. I mean, I just have to ask you, are you very pizza? Oh, yes. <laughs> when you, I felt like you were describing you on that one. I was like, oh, she's so a pizza. Like, <laughs> and what is Jude? So What's Jude's Jude, dosha. Jude is actually tridoshic. Um, Ooh la la, I'm rare. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh la la, yeah. Tridoshic individuals are more rare to come by. They have a really nice equal blend of vata, pitta, and kapha in emotional, mental, and physical structures. Now, when a tridoshic goes out of balance, it can be harder to remedy or treat due to each dosha is trying to fight each other. And well, that of, explains um, everything because <laughs> <laughs> when you were Doesn't. describing that, I literally was like, oh, I feel like I'm all three. And we did do this. It was years ago and I couldn't remember, mm -hmm. but I was like, yeah, I love it. They're all battling each other and I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> What's Patty? Patty is a pitavata. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, right. A pitavata, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so I have a question. Can it change? Because when I was read 20 years ago, they told me I was a kapha with a vata mm -hmm. brain. So, and now I'm pitta kapha. Can it change over time with age and situation and environment and this is such an intriguing question to me because I've questioned this all along. They say, no, your inborn constitution or genetic footprint is yours. What changes are the doshas fluctuate. So then you start to see different imbalances. Maybe 
a more of a scattered mind or heavier set or you're experiencing constipation, these things that can happen over the trajectory of a lifetime. I've been in practice seven years now and I've really pondered and reflected and meditated on that question because my intuition says it's possible, um, but, but don't go by me. The textbooks and, and true study says no. Your dosha is your dosha. Now, Patty, the practitioner you saw 20 years ago assessed you in a way that kapha constitution made sense for the description of you. When I read you and I, whenever I do see you, the pitta vata is what I see most. But it's, it's both subjective and objective when people, physicians, practitioners, healthcare providers do assessments and consultations, right? We have our textbook vitals and pulse and tongue and functional and structural features, but also we have an intuitive side that comes in and then also what we perceive and what we see subjectively. So knowing more of your, your not only just health history, just your life of the jobs that you've had, your evolution as an individual to me is very much a pitta vata. Mm -hmm. And right, someone can have all three out of balance, pitta vata kapha, but um, again, Patty, maybe you go to someone else and they're gonna pin you as only a pitta that there's subjectivity within it. Okay, Catherine, I have a question. Um, you described how we can oftentimes tell a dosha by the way somebody looks and by their appearance. So how does it work with ethnicity? If someone is a black woman and naturally has curly hair, an Asian woman that naturally has straight hair? Great question. So we have to take that into consideration, not only ethnicity, but geographical location of where someone is born and raised on the planet. On my own studies, I've taken the world map and just sat down with it and picked out different countries and then Googled imaged individuals, gotten history books and really went from hair, nose, eye, mouth, skin, the, the different shapes and the different features that these individuals have possessed and inherently owned, how they kind of match or align with their geographical area that their, their ancestors and lineage are. So for individuals, right? So for a, a beautiful black woman, we may see really curly kiki hair. Well, that's Vata type hair, right? But maybe the facial features are this beautiful, luscious, thick lips and a broader nose and larger eyes. Well, then that's a Kapha type face, which we can delineate through our assessment. Vata, one, two, three marks, Kapha here, right? And then as we go down and calculate, we can see which doshic type overrides the other one. So maybe the woman is a kapha vata, which is possible in genetic coding and the blueprint that's created because there's right billions and billions of us. And so that may not be a very direct answer, but really geographically, you look at Hawaiians, indigenous individuals from Native Americans, Koreans to Moroccans, you can actually see their environment externally from weather to food that they ingest and over a time period of history, how their structural feature has been comprised. And it's, it's fascinating to do. Uh, that's interesting because I remember one time going to eat with you. And I think you said, I, I could be quoting this wrong, but you're like, oh, the, the food selection's too hot for me, like, or too I don't know, to fire and you needed more cooling or something like that. And in, in the, in your food choices and being Korean, I know Koreans eat a lot of spicy food. They're known for the spice. They're known for the hotness. And 
Um, so you're saying there's like this correlation in like the overall, according to their, you know, physicality and literally how they were raised and the food that they eat and their culture, everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. If a new client is coming to see you, I know when I went in and saw you, there was like a pretty lengthy questionnaire. Uh, could you walk our listeners through what would be the process if they were to come see any Ayurvedic practitioner in general? I mean, based on your, your methods, but uh, if somebody wanted to explore this, what might they expect? So when I see a new client, they always do get a lengthy questionnaire. I send it to them and they get it back to me 48 to 24 hours before I see them in person. I can do all health assessments and consultations online via Zoom. And I do have a lot of clients nationally. The best is in person, but, but there are options with that. When I get the questionnaire, I, it has their health history, some baseline questions of what have you been experiencing the past three months to the past nine months? What are things that you experienced or were your patterns when you were a little child or your earliest memories? So I can have some indication before they walk through the door. What's interesting is that tends to give me enough information even if I've never spoken to them on the phone or seen them visually, I tend to know their doshik type before I even see them. They come in and it's an hour and a half, an assessment and consultation, and it's truly a dialogue back and forth. I ask questions, they give answers. They may have some questions that are outstanding. I look at their health history. Um, I say, what are your present day symptoms or discomforts? What are you experiencing that needs to be more optimal or optimized? What are things that just you want to change mentally, emotionally, what are your health goals? This really helps paint a broad picture of the individual. And then we start to get more on the detailed strokes of them. Before they leave my office, I always do um, a pulse assessment, which is very interesting because I can read vata, pitta, and kapha within their pulse. I look at their tongue and say, okay, is there malnourishment going on? Are they getting enough um, nutrient intake from their small intestine? Is there too much heat there? Is there ama or toxicity in anywhere in the GI tract? The tongue is an amazing assessment tool that gives us a whole bunch of indicators. Um, I take their weight, their vitals, um, and just do a general physical examination on them with stomach palpation to make sure there's no pain in the liver, no inflammation anywhere. What I do with all of that information, that structural features, functional features, vitals and pulse, as well as dialogue, their intonation, how fast do they speak? Do their eyes dart? What is the color of the squares of their eyes? Is their skin showing anything? How do they move their body? How do they stand up? How do they walk? So it's a lot of large detail information and a lot of minute, subtle um, observation too. I take all of that information and over a week's time, I create an individual health plan. That's seven to 10 pages. I'm saying, this is your doshic type as I read it. These are your doshic imbalances. And these are immediate recommendations that I think would be helpful. And then long-term, whether you see me long-term for health support or not, or you walk away and I never see you again, I want to support my students, not my students, my clients, because I do run a school. That's another topic, but I want to support my clients in the best way possible. So they feel like they're supported in stress reduction techniques things that they can do at home for certain yoga asanas or just postures to help decrease vata, increase digestion and pitta to reduce kapha, nutritional therapy and dietary intake, things that are more brain entrainment and the way that we see how our mental patterns work, 
for them to go home and say, listen, I, I want to implement these couple of things and come back to you, or I just want to take my time and put it into practice. Ayurveda can be not overwhelming, but I will say it's a slower methodical way to optimize health and well-being. It's not a quick fix. It's not a pill that you take. It's not going to the doctor and being written a prescription or seeing a solution in two weeks. It's slow and methodical that takes accountability, responsibility, and people to show up and willing and wanting to do the work. But my goodness, when people do, lots of things shift and change. That's fascinating. I had an appointment with Catherine and we did all of this stuff. And I, I want to tell you that it's really fun, by the way, to go over all these questions and learn all these things about yourself. And I was eating totally wrong for myself. And I'm kind of the homeostasis queen. I plateau and I don't care if I have the flu for a week. I don't care if I fast. It's not going to budge. And Catherine gave me a few things to start with. For one thing, I stopped having smoothies in the morning. I started scraping my tongue. And I started eating more room temperature or warm foods and drinks rather than cold drinks. And I know this sounds crazy, but those three simple things, I dropped weight instantly and felt like a totally different person. So I just wanted to throw that in because I know this is a long process because it looks at your whole, the wholeness of you. It looks at mind, body, spirit, environment, you know, diet exercise, like you said, everything. However, I personally, a person that never budges with weight almost instantaneously had some change happen. And I have passed Catherine's name on to several people. And the people that I stay in touch with that have worked with her have had amazing results with you as well. So I disagree with you, Catherine, that it takes a long time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Patty, thank you. I appreciate you saying that because I'm always like, oh, it's, it's a process and it takes a long time. But you're right, in all actuality, the evolution and the shifts that I see in clients, I will see them one week and they'll come back another week and things are starting to morph and change. Weight can be lost, mental aspects can change. You're right, it's not as long and arduous as I'm saying. I always want to paint the picture because people are so commonly know, walk into the doctor, get the prescription, get a quick fix, all of these new raves on the streamline, you know, web of, get this, buy that. I just want to be honest and authentic that it takes work, but people do see quick turnaround. So thank you for bringing that up because I would have probably left that out. Well, I would like to add in my little bit <laughs> because, um, you know, I did get an assessment from you and you did give me some really helpful tools, but it is a lifestyle change. It is not something in, in and out. You really have to be sort of committed to, you know, omitting things, adding things, changing the way you eat. Like a couple of things that you gave me that actually I still, I don't abide by them, you know, religiously, but I definitely take it into account. And I do notice a difference. One of the things was when I came in to see you, I tend to have coffee for breakfast, <laughs> skip lunch, and then overindulge in dinner because by the time dinner came around, I'm like ravishing hungry, but it's really because of my schedule, my day, I'm just go, 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 go. And then like, I'm lucky if I even get like a little bit of a snack at lunch. And then by the time dinner comes, I stuff my face and then you know, I'm sluggish and my energy was way off. And you suggested that I change to putting my big meal at lunchtime and eating light at dinner, which is totally like a societal shift because everybody tends to eat 
their big meals in the evening time. And I notice on those days, I will like tell myself, no, have a larger lunch today and just don't press so hard for dinner, which actually upsets Jay because usually by dinner, he's like, aren't you hungry? I'm like, no, I'm not hungry. <laughs> lunch. So it screws everything up for him. Maybe he needs to, you know, align, but there are those days that I eat the bigger lunch and I'm completely content and I have the energy to run me through the evening and not feel like I'm like crashing all the time. And another one that you gave me too, was I have a super sweet tooth and you suggested that I get dates, which is a healthier, more nutritious option to um, snack on a date. And you even suggested dipping it in ghee for a little extra energy boost, which wasn't my most favorite thing, but the dates, <laughs> you know, I feel like I could eat the dates guilt-free. Like, it's not like I, you know, went and got a chocolate bar or piece of cake or pie or whatever, something that I would normally go for. I notice even psychologically, mentally, I just don't like guilt myself so hard for indulging in something sweet. That's really tasty because I know I'm getting something good out of it. And it does definitely curve my craving to grab that cookie or whatever. So yes, I did also notice that the advice you gave me really was helpful, but Maybe it's my tridosha, you know, like you said, battling <laughs> each other. It is definitely a lifestyle change. And one of these days I'd like to really dive into it uh, deeper. I'm feeling a little inspired just from this talk, but yeah, I just wanted to share that little bit with you. Well, and speaking directly to medjool dates, cause I love medjool dates. They're really good for um, long-term endurance and really building the internal stamina from the core outwardly. And Ayurveda says, if you dip a medjool date in ghee, it will curb any pregnant woman's craving. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I surely have gotten cravings before. And other clients who are not pregnant, who can have a huge sweet tooth. And that's a pitta quality. Pittas really want that sugar because they need that brain fuel and they metabolize it so quickly that it helps with cravings. And so it's a really, really good tool to utilize. And Jude, um, like you're saying, it's such a lifestyle change and people can feel mm, stubborn or overwhelmed or resistant to that. And it's not to change the whole lifestyle at one time or say, hey, you're living incorrectly. You're asking for better health and wellness and energy, maybe sleep and you wanna feel better in your body well, then let's make these micro changes. And for you, Jude, right, you've kept some of them, others have fallen away, but it sounds like you've kind of kept a root or a thread with the ones that were impactful. And then if we ever meet again, or you're with another practitioner, you build from there and then build from there. It's never to overwhelm people or say, you have to redirect everything now. It's minor shifts and small changes that make the most impact. Right. Good point. And I remember you saying that to me back then because I was a little intimidated, but those two were very impactful tips. You know, they really were. Awesome. Because you remember them over the years then. It's been many years since I've seen you. Right. And I think it's also gives me a good excuse to really indulge in the afternoon <laughs> when I would normally skip it. But, but it's true because I was a crash and burn person on a daily only coffee, no lunch, and then a big dinner that you have to digest and part of it you're asleep, wax out not only blood sugar, but other organs within your body. And so getting a small meal, even if you're not that hungry, but just a little bit to stoke that fire, to stoke that Agni, really consider a larger lunch. So then if you had to miss dinner or there's a life crisis or your child has dance routine practice, 
you can go without and you're not just crashing. You can say, oh, I actually can go to bed with no food or just a very supplemental meal. And that's the routine of eating with the sun and resting with the moon. And it's a beautiful analogy that I use with clients to really say, look at your digestive fire, this digestive Agni. As you wake up in the morning, it's very slow and low burning. During noon, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., it's really vivacious. And we want to stoke it in a way that it burns brightly. And then as the sun goes down, your fork goes down. You rest and digest and start to go into that mode. So your liver has a really good time of detoxing and cleansing your lymph system while you're in bed. And then you wake up with a little bit of appetite and you do that over and over. You want to eat with the sun and rest with the moon. In general, we do want to say that lunch is the biggest meal of the day with dinner being small and supplemental. That is across the board, no matter what doshic mm. type. But vatas tend to need to eat more frequently because of their blood sugar. They need um, little small meals throughout the day to stabilize their blood sugar. Pittas need three hearty meals, and then a lot of times they need snacks. Kaphas on the other end can minimize all of their meal proportions and more in moderation. So then we look at a large guideline, and then we narrow it down to more micromanagement of the specific individual. And that's what I want to say about Ayurveda, that it truly is an individualistic medical healthcare system where I feel like we can go into the doctor or more of a um, allopathic Western physician or practitioner and they speak to us. This is what you've got. This is what you're diagnosed with. This is X, Y, and Z, no matter who you are or how you present, this is what we're going to do for your treatment and or medicine where the individual actually speaks to Ayurveda, who they are, their constitution, their genetic makeup, how they manifest their imbalances. Even if say all three of us got constipation, we're all going to display and experience it differently. So that individual, us three speak to Ayurveda in its holistic methodology. And then we bring back the information to the client. It's not one fits all by any means. That's, that's so interesting. I love that because I drive my doctor nuts because I'll go in and I'll have one or two things. And instead of just taking a prescription, I'll be like, but why is this happening? Like what's at the core? Why, you know, and, and sometimes they look at me like I'm nuts and sometimes they'll do something to kind of appease me. But, you know, June and I working and believing that everything is energetic and manifest physically, you know, in addition to knowing what the, it, well, I guess it isn't an addition with Ayurveda, you know, it's kind of like we're going to the core of the issue and working out rather than just taking care of the symptoms on the outside without having a chance to look at the whole picture. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you've said it exactly getting to the root cause of why something has manifested or created itself, um, is a core principle of Ayurveda it's holistic health, right? And that's naturopathy. That's Tibetan medicine. Why has this occurred? Get to the root cause and not just mask it with other treatments and remedies, but actually dig down deep and try to resolve it here. So then this never happens again. That's great. Outside of diet, I wanted to just mention something that you gave to me, another tool. I was to find an island of serenity. And I don't know if this is my pitta or my vata, but I tend to go, 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 go until I'm stressed out and overwhelmed and want to cry. And then usually the universe knocks me on my ass to give me a break. So 
I chose my hammock in the back of my Island of Serenity. And I decided that no, no cell phones were allowed on the Island of Serenity. And I would lay there. My dog would come and like jump on my belly and I'd be, whoa, dude, Island of Serenity, Island of Serenity. <laughs> and then like today I'm out there and I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, shit, I'm totally going against the Island of Serenity rules. And I'm meeting with Catherine this afternoon, but it made a huge difference to have this like, okay, now is my time to go lay in the hammock with no mm -hmm. phone no agenda, no to-do list. And for me, and again, diet's a huge part of it, but these little things that you fit in, even though they're small, they can have such a huge impact on our wellness as a whole. Yeah, these pockets of peace can be legs up the wall, three deep breaths, 20 minutes of meditation, lying in the hammock, petting our dog, going for an ocean swim, whatever it may be, we tend to forget to allow ourselves these moments with families, kids, jobs, multiple businesses, right? We're all pretty much running around like chickens, <laughs> just like constant go, go, go. But to find a pocket of peace or an island of serenity allows us to stop, realign, take a conscious breath and say, ooh, how is my energy being run right now? What do I need to do that would help me throughout the rest of the day? And if you do that day after day and maybe one island of serenity, maybe two or three throughout the day, it accumulates. It really helps start to shift how we course through the day and navigate it more peacefully, more in harmony and alignment. And I know those are words that can be more abstract, but truly where we feel, ooh, I'm satiated, ooh, I'm nourished, ooh, I'm content. Even if shit's going awry, I feel like I can handle it. Nice. And I have um, something else I'd like to ask you about. There are certain treatments that come along with Ayurveda in addition to education. And I don't want to ruin this by, by trying to explain what it is, but it was like a circle of dough that they put on my chest and put something inside of it. What was that? And why did they do that to me? So these <laughs> hands-on body treatments that you're speaking to are the jewels and gems of Ayurveda, right? Because there's the coaching, the counseling, the in-person office worker online, but to truly have a client lay on the table and experience what you experienced was a dough dam, a dough basti. We take herb black flour, really um, congeal it with water. And it's almost like making bread now that I'm a bread maker, but you, you dough it up and then you create literally a donut. You create a circle and a wall, maybe two, one and a half, two, three inches high. And then you can paste it. You can paste it on any of the chakras, the heart chakra, the solar plexus, the sacral. You can go to the back. You can do the adrenals. Um, you can put it over these dough bosties that are filled with medicated warm oil can be over joints with really bad arthritis and inflammation. So here we have these donuts or these dough bosties that are placed and paced with on the body for both physical means and energetic means for the physical means, right? If it's adrenal fatigue, if it's um, arthritis location in the joints, if it's inflammation, if it's poor cellular communication, if things are stagnant within the body or if there's too much ama or toxicity that's built up within the body. These dough dams, which then are filled with beautiful, warm, medicated oil, removed and placed again back and forth is this beautiful dance to help alleviate the ama and toxicity, to help better cellular communication, but more importantly, to move energy. How often do we get stagnant and stuck confused, cloudy, right? These dough dams, these dough bosties 
are really potent energetic body treatments. I've never quite come across something like this before. They're really powerful. And so you can specify it to a chakra that's maybe in excess or deficient um, organ on the body. So with this, we also have a couple other treatments and maybe Patty, you were going to mention the Shirodara that you got. Yes. And you can speak to that maybe more personally first. I had the, is it Shirodara? Is that how it's pronounced? Mm-hmm. Shirodara mm-hmm. treatment where this beautiful metal carved kind of, uh, I don't know if it's carved. Is Vessel? It, it yes. could be carved. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was, I was lying on my back and there was this beautiful kind of coned vessel above me and it was filled with this fragrant, warm oil. And then she would open up the oil and it would drip down on my head and into my hair. And again, being a person that has trouble relaxing first, I was like, oh, great. How the hell am I going to get this oil out of my hair? And, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to work tomorrow because I'm going to be an oily mess. But as I took some time and actually relaxed and settled in, it was really soothing in an interesting way. It felt to me like it really moved energy. It felt very active in addition to being kind of relaxing, if that makes sense. And that's what it does. So to clarify, it's not a drip. And many people do think it's a drip. It's a consistent pour because a drip of something on the forehead would be quite irritating and annoying. It's just the constant pour on the third eye and the forehead. And what it does is really decompress the nervous system by directly working with the mind. And I know that seems a little bit obscure, but we say if we pour the oil on the third eye, it can activate and affect the pineal gland which then can calm the mind and the thoughts. And then the nervous system decompresses along with that. People can fall asleep, go into a liminal dream state. They may kind of twitch or act like they're falling asleep and do a big body movement. That is the stress that's being released from the nervous system, which most of us can be supported within. And so Shirodara is a beautiful body treatment that Ayurvedic practitioners or clinicians can provide to optimize health that much faster. It it can start to shift the consciousness faster than dietary intake or herbal recommendations, lifestyle changes, which are important and impactful, but they take longer time. So as soon as you can get someone on the table and work with them both physically and energetically, the consciousness starts to shift faster. Do you have a favorite treatment that you get? Um, I love the Abhyanga. The Abhyanga traditionally is four-handed. Um, I'm a solo practitioner, so I just do two-handed or receive two-handed. And it's, again, warm oil. Ayurveda is all about the oil. And it's this rhythmic routine dance of a massage on the body. Each motion and movement takes place to either balance and redirect vata, which is the motion movement and change in the body, to help with digestion and elimination. And then to help, again, pacify the thoughts and obsessive thinking to relax the nervous system. It's 75 minutes to 90 minutes, but to be lathered in warm oil and massaged in this routine that even if you fall asleep, you can kind of hold on to and ride. That's one of my favorite. It's very nourishing. I had an abiotica treatment and I had a full past life flashback. Same with me. Same with me. I just knew you were just going to say that. I also okay. had a past life, but because Catherine gave me that same treatment, which by the way, I still fantasize to this day. Because the oil that you used was so nourishing. And I have never had any other treatment by any other therapist, massage or other that the oil, like it was like my body just sucked that in. And I was so smooth for like ever after that. 
So I would have used a blend of sesame and sunflower with um, a touch of maharayan, which is a really beautiful blend of oh 18 to 20 herbs. So it's like this golden nectar of life, right? Like the Egyptians used to, I think, glorify and probably worship oil. I understand because every time I bottle oil for a client, I'm like, look at this beauty. It's shining, it's glistening, it's golden. And so yeah, sesame, sunflower, maharayan. But Jude, you did have a past life experience. And I will say to the Shiradhara, Abhyanga, and Chakra or Dobastis, people can have an experience of past life recall to reorganizing a difficulty in their life, having more of a profound experience. Now that doesn't have to happen, nor do we guarantee that. The Ayurvedic body treatments tend to work on a, a much more subtle energetic level as well. So it's great to hear that both of you had this experience. Patty, what was your past life experience? You had one treatment too and had a past life? Yeah, the Abhyanga. I was immediately taken back. I was in India. I was a man in, I, I could feel my clothing rubbing against my body as I was walking down the street. Like I knew the, the fabric and, and I was looking out over scenery that I was familiar with. And then I had a flashback of that man being a baby and as an infant being massaged with these oils. And then as a toddler being massaged as these oils, and then as a teen self-massage with these oils, and then as an adult going to a practitioner and having these massages. So it was a past life recall and I got a name and, and everything super, super clear. But within this past life recall, I was recalling my experience with this treatment from an infant on do infants, do they give this treatment to infants? And they do Patty. I can't believe you're saying this because you know, they actually will take an infant and rub oil consistently through infancy to toddler through the ages, because it's so nourishing and hydrating, but also very pacifying. And then they love to take oil and then not do the Shirodara, but do it on certain marma points throughout the head to infants to endow good luck and good fortune. And um, kind of promote the child in a, in a very special way. So as you say this, I'm like, actually they do. They rub infants with oil to really have them experience those health benefits from an early age. Wow. Jude, what was your past mm -hmm. life recall? It's sort of tripping me out because I think I also recall being a man. It's been a long time, but I remember while Catherine was working on me, I was, I kept feeling like I was a man in India and I was outside, like it was an open courtyard or something like that. And there was like no walls and I was getting this treatment. And I don't really recall anything much more than that, except I felt like I could smell the smell of the oil is really what triggered the whole thing, because I remember smelling it and it brought me back to another lifetime that I was having that experience and could smell that smell in the air. But strange, I don't know, maybe we were buddies or maybe we were the same person. <laughs> so I have a name. Do you want to hear the name? I actually yeah. have it in my phone. Anjal Rajif, A-N-J-A-L-R-A-J-I-F. And I actually called a friend of mine who is from India and I said, is that an Indian name? And and it is. So wow. yeah, fascinating. Gosh, I wish I could get names like you. That's, everybody always asks me for a name and I'm like, I am not the one <laughs> I've been trying to call it in. Names don't come when people ask you, <laughs> you know, right. when, when people ask you for a name, it puts you on the spot. And I think it, at least for me, it takes me out of my, it's, totally. it's much easier for me to just get a name and say, does this name mean anything to you rather than try right. to retrieve a name when asked? 
we are going to be doing a retreat with Catherine. It's Patty, Catherine, and me in Knoxville, Illinois, October 7th through 9th. So you can check Spirit Speakers podcast website, and it is called the Inner Connection Retreat. You can also find the links on each of our individual websites. Catherine, what's your website? And elementalpractice.com? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Patty's um, wingandether.com, mine, align and shine, kawaii.com, or spiritspeakerspodcast.com. And any of our Instagrams will give you a link to uh, check out all the information about this amazing retreat that we're going to do that's including um, a lot of Ayurveda, health, wellness, sound bath, cacao ceremony, meditation, chakras. We're going to have a pizza party. It's on Catherine's property, which is 22 gorgeous acres. It's beautiful. We can't even wait. And we just announced it the other day. So there's still time and space to sign up for anybody listening and curious. Catherine, I have one question before we let you go. Earlier, when you were talking about the doshas and you were talking about kapha and about it being associated with the element of earth and it being about safety, you know, ding, 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 root chakra came up. So my Mm -hmm. question for you is, does Ayurveda seem to follow, does it purposely follow or work with the chakras? Or if not, have you noticed a correlation between that? So there's definitely a direct correlation between the doshas and the chakras to say that I work directly with clients on chakra balancing? No, but that happens through them on the treatment table, through lifestyle activities. But when we look at the root chakra and sacral, very much kapha energy, grounded, rooted, connected, to gather the nutrients from the roots to bring up to the sacral and kind of this embody this like beautiful orb of orange, knowing that the sexuality, the communication, the connection is there with the kapha. When we go into the solar plexus, man, that is pitta. Um, That is, you know, engaging outward. Ego gets a very, very bad rap, but we have to have identity and we have to have ego. So a balanced ego is actually a very beautiful thing in this world, but the solar plexus is very much pitta driven. When we look at the heart, I always say this is right, the connector from the heavens of the earth to really allow us to come out into our arms and give way to the right? The connection here in the heart to come out through our arms to give and receive love, but also to work with our hands to give back to the greater good, whatever that looks like within craft service work. You know, the heart resides within all of the doshas, but when we see joy, when we see the brilliance of play and happiness, that's pitta really in balance. Pittas can forget to play. They can be very work-driven, Uh, their joy can be suppressed or their light can dim down and they forget what's there. And so the heart chakra, I would say really goes with pitta of joyness and happiness and contentment where the upper chakra is given its bata communication, perception, you know, being able to reach into those outer dimensions and the layers that are more subtle, the third eye, the throat communication and expression and the crown. Again, knowing that We all have the seven chakras, knowing that there's more, but we all have the three doshas. It's just, we can see which chakras stand out more with each dosha, which gives us good, important information, how to work with our subtle body, our energetic body, our physical body, how we want to move through the day, what we're asking from our practitioners, our healthcare providers to bring us the most balance and harmony possible, knowing that's actually the goal of Ayurveda. The goal of Ayurveda is to keep someone in their most optimal health for them to pursue their lifetime goals 
which in all actuality is the spiritual pursuit of the soul's desire. And that's the goal of Ayurveda, which to me just makes me even a little bit emotional because I think it's such a beautiful thing. It's very beautiful. (laughs) Well, before we let you go, I do want to share a story. You know, when I meet people, obviously there can be instant chemistry and attraction in different ways or recognition of the soul, but I don't really dive super deep. I have a a pretty strong boundary, even though I'm clairvoyant, I never try to read people or read into people or dive deeper unless I'm invited to do so. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me with you was that kind of caught my interest. Of course we met and, and we definitely had a rapport right away, but I mentioned Pola Hale to you. We had not really, you didn't know any of my stories. I didn't know any of your stories. And I had said something kind of casually about we should go to Pola Hale and go camping. And you said, do you remember? You're like, oh no, 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 I can't, I can't camp there. <laughs> Yay, I'm not alone. That. I'm not yeah. alone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. And so then Catherine tells me her story, which Catherine, if you'll share the story. So Puli Holly is on the very West side of the Island. It's this barren yet very multidimensional, gorgeous piece of land on Kauai. And I went out there when I first moved many years ago to the islands, my friend Ben was like, we have to go out there and camp. So we drove my gold minivan, no tent. We just had a blanket and a pillow and maybe a little cot for the beach got out there, ate some food, watched the sunset, slept underneath the stars. But that night I hardly slept. It was a very uncomfortable, almost disturbing night's sleep. And every time I went into dream state or what I thought was dream state, which was a bit more of a a liminal state between wake and sleep, I saw hundreds of people walking around Mm -hmm. of all ethnicities, ages, sizes, genders, it did not matter. And I would wake up and be startled. And it was pure, beautiful, silent beach with these beautiful blinking stars. And then I would go back into a little bit of sleep and it was just person after person walking aimlessly around. And all night I was just disturbed and uncomfortable. And I remember when the sun came up, I was very grateful that the night was over. We came back to the Kapa'a, the east side, and my um, landlord at the time was in the kitchen. I came in and we were having some tea and I was saying, you know, it was beautiful out there, but I don't think I can camp again. And so I told her the experience, like every time I went into a dream liminal state, this is what showed up. And she's like, Catherine, do you know what Pulihali means? I'm like, no, I just got to the island like two weeks ago. I don't, I'm very uneducated. I don't know. And she's like, and you please correct me, but it means um, the house of the dead. Yes. Yes. That's the correct translation. And she was like, well, Catherine, do you know, this is where the Dalai Lama and other people have said spirits and souls of the earthly plane leave. And I just, I probably teared up and, and had a couple of tears over this tea because my experience was so profound and so potent, but it was so visceral of seeing these families, children, people lost, aimless, really confused, disoriented, not knowing where they're going, really no one could help them, it felt like. And then for her to say, you know, this is the house of the dead. This is where they say the souls and the spirits leave and transcend and go back up to the ethers, the heavens to rejoin, however that happens. And then when I met Jude, 
she said, maybe we go kiss. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't think I can go back out there. <laughs> which again. of course, because our listeners love the Polahale story, which I told on one of the ghost stories episodes, if anybody hasn't heard it. But for me, I was the only person I've even known that had that story. Now, there are people who know what the portal is and they know what it's supposed to be, but I'm the only person up to that point until I had met you. So when I invited you, you said no. And then you said, yeah, there was all these like dead people walking around. I looked at you like, wait, what? Like you are the only person. And so when you gave me the detail of the story and then I actually pulled out a picture of Pola Holly, I said, where were you? And you were in the exact same spot I was after I had first moved Patty. It was the exact same spot. I brought you to that. You were like, okay, after 20 minutes, you're like, let's get the hell out of here (laughs) because it was sort of like the epicenter. It was like the heart of the, the eye of, you know, the vortex. I just also thought that was like such another huge validation, but it also very much intrigued me about you. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, Catherine's got something going on here. And I feel like our story continued to deepen from there. So shortly thereafter, you know, I always saw Catherine as this kind of like really, you know, bright, cheery, kind, beautiful person. And one day she asked me to get a session and I was like, yeah, of course. And I was looking up towards it and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It's all going to be sunshines and rainbows. It's going to be this big, beautiful thing. Oh man, the second I threw my psychic eye onto Catherine, I remember I like looked, looked away, looked back, looked away, looked back. I was like, oh no. Like, how am I going to tell her? So freaked out. Yeah, I was. Well, it was incredible and it was so powerful, but I was literally expecting like just some real bright, shiny, goddessy thing and it was goddessy but it was intense and it was shadowy and and beautiful but I wasn't sure how you were going to take that information and I had never seen anything quite like it but I instantly knew the second I saw it that this is one of my soul sisters like we come from the same dimension like (laughs) make no mistake we were supposed to meet and we were supposed to have our businesses next to each other there is an interesting story because Catherine is, um, to me, sort of a shadow priestess. And, and of course, this is what enhances her as a healer, I believe. But um, I told this story very briefly one time on another podcast. But when I'm working, sometimes people come in, strangers come in that I don't know, and they come in with things on occasion, you know, and I'm not always prepared. And this one day, this woman came in and she had an entity and the entity had attacked me in the middle of our session. And it blindsided me, which this has happened a couple of times, knock on wood. I'm, I hope it never happens again, but this was sort of, you know, you got to go through things a few times before you learn how to do it the right way. But anyways, this woman had come in an entity had attacked me. I was so sort of blindsided and caught off guard. I didn't really know how to handle it in the moment. I just continued on with the the session. And in hindsight, I had realized that I had a hole ripped in my energy field in front of my third eye to the upper right corner of my third eye and my crown chakra. And it was just this big gaping cold, cold aired hole. And there was nothing that I was able to do to clear it or patch it up. And so I had this awareness for this entire week after this attack by this entity that I had a hole in my energy field. And at that time, Catherine and I were still just 
beginning to be friends and we didn't really know a ton about each other. And I didn't really know a lot about her personal life or what was going on in there. And of course we would cross each other every day coming in and out of work. But every time I would get around Catherine, I would get this terrible headache. She would get a headache, Patty. And oh she was a ton, but every time I was around her, oh, she it was, was getting a headache. It was brutal. It was like a stabbing, oh. like awful. And so Catherine would always be like, hey, Jude, how's it going? And like, want to come up and say hi. And I'd be like slowly backing up away from her <laughs> because the headache was just so brutal. I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't, I can't handle it. And I, and I, and I was like, there's something there's something with Catherine. Like I knew that there was something going on with you, but I didn't know what, because I didn't know you enough. And it wasn't my place as Patty and I said, the like moral ethics of this work, it's, it's not our place to just tell people things, you know, unless it's asked, but it was something that I took note of. And a few days after that, we had planned on having dinner. I was going to cook dinner at my place and Catherine was going to come over. I remember having a lot of anxiety about having Catherine over because I noticed since I had this tear in my energy field that I uh, have all these headaches when she came over. By the grace of the divine, that day, I had a client who had such a strong, like angelic healer energy. When she came in, I literally felt the hole in my energy feel repatch itself. Wow. And then I thought, oh, this will be a great test because when I get home, <laughs> I'll know if it's really patched up or not, if I get a headache or not from Catherine, right? So Catherine comes over and I was like cautiously keeping distance and like inching my way in. And I was like, no, it's really sealed. This woman really did help heal my aura. Oh, I can finally relax and really hang out and get to know Catherine. So now jump ahead. We're eating dinner. We're hanging out. I lived in this really nice house uh, on the east side. And I had been there for a lot of months. And I have great spatial awareness of spirits and things like that. But sure enough, when Catherine was there, I saw something darting around my house, left and right, in and out. It, this like shadow figure was boom, 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 boom. And I didn't want to alarm Catherine and I'm not trying to spook her out, but I knew the whole time I was like, this is not mine. This was not in my house. It came in with Catherine and it left with Catherine. But I was watching this thing dart around my house while you were there for dinner, but didn't say anything. And then Catherine, I'd like to hand it over to you to share like what happened next. So, you know, in this time frame, I didn't know Jude was getting headaches, which really I didn't share good. any of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> didn't share any of it. But I go over for dinner, rubbing dinner drinks. It's a really lovely evening. And we're sitting down. Jay's cleaned up dinner, put in to go to bed. She and I are in the weeds of conversation. It's later. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this like darting thing around her house. And she has mirrors positioned and windows and the glasses exposed. And I'm starting to get a little bit nervous and freaked out. I'm like, I don't want to tell Jude I'm a little bit spooked in her house, but there's something around us and it's darting. And I kind of feel like I want to go home because I'm really scared right now, but I don't know how I'm supposed to tell this new friend that I think there's a ghost in her house. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, this woman brought a ghost in my house and I'm not <laughs> feeling this. But it was fine. Okay, continue on. So then I go home, go to bed that night. I get home maybe 11, 11.30, go to sleep. And I kid you not, in the middle of the night, one and only time it's happened, I was in a deep sleep. And all of a sudden, I felt a physical yank, like pulled me halfway off of the bed. Oh. And my eyes popped open. It was pitch black. And I saw the most gnarly, mangled, scary figure I have ever seen to this day right here close to my face. I mean, just inches away from my nose. 
I got so scared. I hyperventilated. I closed my eyes, right? And all night, I was just in a cold sweat in my bed, not moving. I mean, no idea what happened, what it was. The next day I woke up, wake up, I go and park in front of my office. Jude's not there. So I'm definitely going to call her cell phone because I need some advice and some help because I don't know what happened in bed last night. I get Jude on the phone. And at that time, as my holistic health practice, I had other practitioners rent from me. So people were in and out. I forgot the exact detail, but I'm on the phone with Jude trying to unravel this very scary event that happened in the dark last night of this entity pulling me out of bed and me physically seeing him morph into shape. And she had, I think, chaos on her side of the phone. There was chaos really directly outside of my studio, people and keys. And all of a sudden we had to get off the phone. I couldn't finish the story. Chaos blew up on both sides. We had to go at the exact same time. And she's like, I will call you back as soon as I can. But I think right before we got off the phone, (laughs) I confirmed, I confirmed. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but you're like, okay, so this thing happened last night. And then I was like, okay, Catherine, I've been waiting for you to mention something to me because I've been wanting to tell you all week. You have an entity around you. And she's like, what? And then all of a sudden, all the chaos ensued and we had to get off the phone. It was like a, such a cliffhanger. Like we couldn't, like we couldn't finish. We couldn't come to a conclusion. It was out of our control. (laughs) And so we had to like, wait to call back. I just like left her that I was like, you have an entity. I've seen it all week. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to tell you (laughs) click. Yeah. (laughs) And so anyways, eventually we got back on the phone. And I revealed to her that I was having terrible head. She's like, what? Why did you say? I was like, because I don't know. I don't want to like make you feel bad, but you know, and, and that's like a thing that for me in learning, you know, like at what point do you reveal something to somebody? Like I do see people I've walked by random people in the store that I see entities and weird things on. It's not my place to tap them on the shoulder and, and say, Hey, by the way, and are they ready for that information? And can they handle it? You know, and I just didn't know you enough and it wasn't anything, you know, I'm pretty tough, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a spiritual warrior. So it's like, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not challenging any darkness out there. I'm just saying like, I, you know, I have a little bit of a resilience, so it was okay. And I was like waiting for that opportunity when it felt safe or we did get close enough that we could talk and have that conversation. But I was not surprised at all the next day when you were like, uh, a demon, like, snapped me out of bed last night. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. Cause I've been waiting to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and this is just one of many stories with Catherine and I, as far as like this whole interdimensional spiritual, she's very psychic. She totally has the gift. And I don't know. I just adore you. There's not very many people I know that, um, have the ability to see into those, you know, more shadow dimensions. So I appreciate you for that. I need to know how you guys got rid of the demon or the entity? Well, I, you know, and it comes to this, and this is what I tell people, you know, once we know what's going on and we know exactly what we're addressing, it's so much easier to get rid of it. But if we're off or sad, depressed, depleted, you know, all the things, and we don't know what it's sourced from, and we can't quite put our finger on it, or sometimes it feels like something that's out of control. Like we sense that there's something pushing us down, but we don't really know how to identify it. Once we know what it is, and we know how to attune our intention towards it. It's so easy to just be like, it's enough. We're done. No more. You can't be here. 
but we have to believe that that's the thing that we're addressing. If we're just kind of like, I don't know, and I don't really believe we're not putting a strong enough intention behind it. And there was other things behind the scenes as I got to know Catherine is like, there was personal things that were going on in her realm that she was dealing with that this particular situation made a lot of sense. It was actually a, a gateway for a greater healing that was on the table for her at that point in time. It was something, a big shift that she was going through. So she was like spiritually open and prepared and strong enough to deal with seeing this particular distortion um, in the way that we did. And, and for other people, it might not come up the same way, you know, for other people, it might not be so black and white, like entity demon face, we need to get rid of it. Like, you know, Catherine's one of these kind of spiritual warrior types. So, I mean, in hindsight, it was intense in the time, but it was like a fun way of exploring this aspect of our spirituality with each other through, you know, battling a demon together. <laughs> What can I and say? Early on in our friendship and on in our relationship. And it was such a lesson for me of like the position of power to be empowered ourselves and that we put up boundaries, we put up walls, and we can actually say no to things that are trying to encroach and suck on us. And I I had other experiences, maybe it's for another podcast of like some ghost stories I had I have in my in my past, but this one particularly was so intense that I was in a very dark place in my life. There was a lot of breakdown, a lot of darkness. It was one of the most difficult time periods of my life. And so my energy was weakened. I was depleted. I was not malnourished in food sense, but in energy sense. And it was a perfect, perfect way to let something in and not knowing it for a long while. And then with Jude's potency of her power, not even verbally speaking it, I start to, I started to recognize like, what is that darting or something pulled me out of bed. There's a lot of chaos that doesn't seem right for her to say, listen, you need to put a stop to this. And that night I went home and did a very direct meditation of saying, you are not allowed here. You cannot be in my space, totally shut it down. But again, it was a lesson that I needed to come into. And it's so paralleled what I was going through in my personal life of this is me. This is my story. This is what I'm asking of, whether you believe it or not, but finding my, my power within to be able to say, Hey, this is me. And it really paralleled this demon shadow that was following me around and encroaching on me. And so there were so many lessons within that. And yeah, I mean, a couple weeks into our friendship, we did this together. Right. We, we like hit the ground running. <laughs> I was like, I never, you know, I like to give good first impressions. I don't want to bring the weird out too quickly, you know? <laughs> so, and she was like, oh, you're weird too. Oh, you're a shadow <laughs> sister. Oh, we're best friends. I'm like, yeah, girl, I'm right there with you. Not yeah. much throws me. <laughs> yes. It was awesome. It. Yeah. I love it. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your amazing knowledge. And I really look forward to this retreat that we're going to be doing in October. And I really hope anyone out there listening, if you feel the nudge to check it up and join us, it's going to be a really, I don't know, a beautiful gathering. And Patty and I are venturing off to the Midwest together. That in itself will be fun, a new area for both of us. Thank you so much, Catherine. You're such a potent healer and such an amazing person and you do so good out there. And thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait for the retreat. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you, ladies. Jude and Patty, I love and adore you so much. I mean, to be friends, but now colleagues and in collaboration, 
um, I'm, I'm really excited. And to host you here on the 22 Acres in the Midwest, it's gonna be a different location for you both, but we're gonna have a beautiful time. So those of you who are interested, check it out. You know, ask us any questions you want and we hope to see you. All right, bye Catherine. Bye Catherine, thank you so much. Bye ladies, thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. We love and appreciate you. We appreciate the donations you've been making and communicating with you on social media. And we want to remind you to continue to be careful and not accept any any DMs about offering readings or anything like that. There's, you know, that still continues to go on. So just be careful and be safe. Yes, thank you everybody from the bottom of our hearts. Until next time, aloha. Take care.